Hi, welcome to First Time Films. We are back, this time talking Zodiac from David Fincher. Don't forget, go check out all our past shows. The, the team did a great show in midsummer last week. Go check out Full Time Football. Go check out FTTV. The Falcon and Winter Soldier reviews are very much alive and kicking over there. It's all going off. And uh, on the FTYT YouTube channel, uh, we have Late Night with Quacker and Stacey. They'll be coming back with their second episode very soon. But I want to get into it today because there is so much to talk about with Zodiac that we can't waste too much time and first of all we have a really good guest with us today you might have recognized them from the live stream that we did on the FTYT YouTube channel um, before the League Cup finals between uh, Livingston and St Johnston I don't know if he wants to talk about that but Angus McGregor is here Angus how are you? Yeah, um, I was doing pretty well, but then you just put that thought in my head, so um, <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling a wee bit deflated again, so thanks very much for that. <laughs> Mate, I apologise, I do apologise. To be fair, man, I, I, I didn't see the final, To be, but was it was a close game or was it just one of those ones where it was just completely shite? I mean, I'm just getting images of Marvin Bartley playing at left wing now and <laughs> I, just don't want, I just don't want to talk about it really. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. A great start to this podcast for Angus. Like, it's the only way is up. That's what you've got to do. We've got to tear you down all right, to no, build you back up. It's a classic torture strategy. You know what I mean? After that, I'm thinking about what have I got myself into here? Jesus. <laughs> And also with us, I was trying to stall for time because he's he's very much unprepared. We wouldn't have it any other way. Mr. Jack Higgins, how are you? <laughs> Hello, I'm good. Uh, I just finished the movie there about 10 seconds ago. Um, so I'm good to go, ready to discuss. It's all fresh in the mind, Truff. That's, um, that's the that's mindset a good I've got. Thing. That's the that's positive. That's the best reason in the background as well. <laughs> I, need to, I need to expose you because you had it on First Time Thrones, right? But see, when we were doing the Thrones reviews, like Jack would be watching the episode like literally when we were going live like <laughs> like like he would, would tell us he would postpone the episode for 20 minutes usually for a shite and then he, we could hear the episode <laughs> on in the background throughout it it's always an absolute shambles i'm done hiding it i'm done covering you for your jackets Listen, I've, I've, once, right. I've once tried to hide the fact that i'm a shambles <laughs> i have yeah, said no, many a time about openings and and uh, closings of shows that it's just not my thing um I'm not here for I'm not here for hosting. I'm here for merely facilitating conversation. <laughs> There's no better way to keep things fresh in your mind, away. Exactly. Mate. I've oh. literally just finished it, so I mean, oof, I could I could tell you every. Well, I probably couldn't help. I've also had a couple of beers. No one there. can. <laughs> that is the point of the zodiac. No one knows what's going on. All right, the police didn't know what was going on. No one has a clue. But Zodiac released in 2007, a mystery thriller uh, directed by David Fincher. Uh, it has a great cast, most notably Mark Ruffles in there, Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr., um, Scotland's own, Brian Cox shows up. It's a wonderful time. It's a great time. Um, it was made for a budget somewhere between 65 and $85 million. We're going to play Guess the Box Office game here. Uh, Angus, I'll, I'll give you the first shout. How how much do you think this made at the box office? Uh, just worldwide? Worldwide, aye. Internationally. Uh, let's go... Let's go about $130 million. 130, that's a fair guess, fair guess. Jack, what are you thinking? Uh, what was your what was your made for? So it's between 65 and 85. I'm going to go 185. Oh, you'd both be wrong. 
84.7. So considered a, a box office disappointment was Zodiac. You know, a disgrace. It's a disgrace. It should be shot and taken out the back. It's an utter disgrace. Um, but like, despite that, it's quite. it's been critically well received. It's been one of those sleeper hits. I think streaming's given it a new life. I've seen a couple of people have messaged me saying, have you seen Zodiac? Uh, they've, they've said, I've discovered it. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, the BBC conducted a poll of critics and they said it's the 12th greatest film of the 21st century. Uh, so high praise there. I just want to get your uh, sort of initial thoughts on the movie, Jack. I'll come to you first for this. Like, what, what, what are your overall feelings about Zodiac having just watched it? I thoroughly enjoyed it, mate. Um, bit of a slow start. I thought, okay, where are we going here? But um, I like the relevance. Although it was a bit of a, a strap to sell in and, and you know, just um, get strung along for a long time, I, I still quite enjoyed it. Um, and I think there was decent satisfaction with the ending. Um, although I do have my usual Jack complaints. Um, I'm more than happy to share them with you when the time comes. I but, swear um, to God, if you tear apart the, the realism of this mate, based realism, on a true mate, story, realism. actual investigation that happened. fucking realism. <laughs> one guy, one guy is calling the shots for handwriting. Don't know about that. I would have a team on that. I would have a team doing the handwriting. <laughs> I wouldn't have one old man like who. Who's to say he knows best? Like. Right, anyway, that's me. Uh, we're gonna get we'll get. To, uh, I, I can tell I'm gonna laugh at that anyway. Uh, but Angus, <laughs> what's your overall what's your overall thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm uh, kind of similar thoughts to um, Jack in many ways. I um, find it fairly enjoyable, but I also do have certain gripes with it that I do feel certain kind of aspects of the film could have been handled better, or they could have went in a slightly different direction that would have improved it. Um, hearing you say it's a it was voted the 12th best film of what uh, the 21st century did you say 21st century I think that's very surprising in all honesty I'm not quite sure I would give it that much praise but yeah I think it's a I think it's an interesting film nonetheless and one I'm uh, intrigued to talk about yeah, well, people like to praise David Fincher. I've noticed this. Like, even when David Fincher doesn't do particularly great, people are like, that's David Fincher. Look at Mank, <laughs> the Oscars for this year. You know what I mean? It seems like, oh, it's David Fincher. Let's give it a Best Picture nomination, even though everyone I've spoken to has been thoroughly, like, bored out their skull by that movie. But anyway, I very much enjoy Zodiac. I, I thought it was a great time. I seen it a couple of years and years ago, and this is my fourth time rewatching it in a while. So I'm a big fan of it. A struggling way to start for this because there's a lot to unpack but I just want to start with the, the key performances in this movie uh, Angus I'll come to you first Mark Ruffalo at this point his career was sort of steadily ticking along you know he'd had he'd had a couple of good movies under his belt um, I'm pretty sure that he had um, an Oscar nomination before this but I can't quite be sure but he was best known for movies like Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind which we covered a couple of weeks ago and 13 Going on 30 uh, as well as a, a chick flick um, what do you think about Mark Ruffalo's performance in this movie? Yeah um, I think he's absolutely great obviously um, this is pre-Mark uh, Ruffalo in the Marvel kind of films but yeah. yeah I think he's very very commanding on screen the entire time I think he's probably the pick of the bunch in all honesty Um mm. Great, great style his character has as well. And there's a lot of outfits in this film that I'm looking at. I'm like, you know what? That's quite snazzy. I might, uh, might save that in the old. Uh, I take a mental <laughs> image and keep it for when, uh, for when lockdown shuts down. But aye, um, Mark Ruffalo, he's always that kind of steady kind of hand that you need. And 
he's kind of became the kind of the master of this kind of sort of film. Obviously, yeah. he's in the likes of Dark Waters and Spotlight as well. And I think he is that kind of perfectly likable guy who can kind of up the ante and the intensity at the right moments to really hammer home those kind of more dramatic moments. So, yeah, I think um, the usual kind of consistency from uh, from Ruffalo as usual. It's good to point that out because I think that that's the combination. Like he's really funny. Like when Gyllenhaal's character shows up in his his house in the middle of the night, he's just like, "I'm going to kill him." <laughs> like he's walking out. I just I was chuckling at that. But you're right. Uh, like this with Spotlight is a really good comparison because I think for me, Spotlight's his best performance. But this is right up there. Uh, Jack was Ruffalo your favorite in this, or were you more a fan of Gyllenhaal or even Robert Downey Jr. in this one? Uh... I don't actually have any favourites in, in all honesty. I do think Ruffalo was decent, um, but I think I don't like him more so of his own performance, but I think his character out of a lot of them is the most to get on board with, the most interesting, mm. and clearly got the, the kind of, well, for the most part of the, well, the case is open. He has the biggest yeah. weight on his shoulder and the biggest burden to bear, um, mm. being obviously a detective, and, and, and kind of also having the most desire with it, I think, aside from Jake Gyllenhaal, as we see towards the end of the film. So I think, yeah, he's definitely the most to get on board with, but I, I, I wouldn't even say that his performance was particularly excellent, um, nah. but certainly certainly played the part well. Um, as for everyone else, like, I don't think there was any standouts. Robert, De- Robert Downey Jr. was basically playing Robert Downey Jr. Um, <laughs> and everything else, do you know what I mean? Uh, and then even more Robert Downey Jr. like drug addict towards the end. Of class. That was um, like the Iron Man is drunk storyline that people have been asking about like from the Marvel comics. I'm like, uh, well, exactly. you've got it in Zodiac, so why do you need it? <laughs> exactly. Um, no, definitely done enough for me. Like All, all the acting performances were, were enough. Um, to get it through but I think the plot itself and the complexity of it is what or the complexity sorry of it yes. is certainly something that gives it I don't know makes it an enjoyable watch definitely what's interesting about it for me is like you've got these three guys but like like I said Ruffalo was on the rise but he wasn't quite A-lister yet it was actually it was pre-Robert Downey Jr. doing Iron Man which people said you know, revitalised his career, but this was really the first sort of big hitter, like, because he did this 2007, and the next year he did Iron Man and Tropic Thunder as well, you know, which which really just stratosphatically, you know, shifted gears for him. Um, and Gyllenhaal, again, like, this was just another step in the right direction for him, so it's interesting you've got these three guys who we think bona fide movie star nowadays, but still on the up and up in this one. You know, so yeah, it's good. I just want to ask, like, we're going to get into the plot now, but Angus, what were you, what was your knowledge of like the Zodiac Killer, like the real life Zodiac Killer going into this movie? Like, did you have any knowledge on the case or anything like that before watching it? Um, prior to watching this for the first time a few years ago, all I really knew that it was um, Ted Cruz was the Zodiac Killer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that meme is literally all I kind of knew. I knew it was like a serial killer in America. Yeah. Other than that, very, very little. I knew obviously there would have been a lot of, to do with the kind of, um, obviously, the, like, the markings and that, like the kind of like clues and that he left behind were in like a unusual yeah. kind of manner. But yeah, other than that, not an awful lot. You don't really get to hear or see an awful lot of the kind of American stories, especially when you're young here in the UK. So yeah. for, most, for me, most of it was entirely fresh. Aye, definitely. Jack, were you the same? Uh, much the same. Uh, I mean, it's one of the things that the Zodiac Killer is just the name that resonates with you. But I can't. I wouldn't 
have at all known anything about it. I wouldn't have wouldn't have known any research or anything behind it. Um, I think I would have hazarded a guess. Like it's one of the kind of pub questions. Like I don't know, even like a trick question. When did you know or who who ended up being you know um, convicted as being the Zodiac killer? Yeah, and then it's a, a trick question because like nobody was ever convicted, kind of thing. Yeah, um, I always remember it's a case that just went on for so long and and never ever really got properly solved. Um, and in the movie, it obviously gives us an attempt at, at maybe what was going on in real life. I don't know what the uh, it's based on true events. I don't know how accurate it is, but you know, with with getting a suspect towards the end of the movie, but not getting closure as to actually who it was in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's. I really don't know if that's a true representation. You know mm. what I mean? I don't know if you know that, but um, no, it done enough. As I said, it definitely done enough to keep you stringing along. And I think, um, as as um, as Angus said, I've got some grief, but just like with with that, I do think there possibly could have been more into explaining why it was so difficult because I think a lot of the time they relied on just saying like oh it's handwriting or everything we're going off is, is handwriting yeah um, where they it seemed like the police officers were so limited in their thought they never once thought that it could be more than one person until very very late on mm-hmm. you know there's a, there's a number of other things that I just think like see in real life I would like to have thought that honestly these avenues would have been explored but um, I get that it's obviously a movie so I won't slate it too heavily for well that's that. the thing I honestly think that's that's by design, I think. I'm not even sure that's a flaw because yeah. part of the move, the thing that I love about this movie is the first hour and a half, you've got the soundtrack, right? You've got this like, oh, these three guys in the case, they're going to solve it. And it's all dead exciting. And you get to like this false climax where it's like, nah, we don't know who it is. Fast forward like five years. You know what I mean? And the movie continuously plays with those story beats as it goes through. And I think I think the structure of Zodiac is absolutely ingenious. But more than that, we've also got great cinematography. In the opening scene, Angus, uh, we see Darlene and Mike and they're they're going out to, to Lover's Lane. And you're thinking, ah, we know what's going to go down here. We know what's going to happen. And you get the scene with the car, get the guy coming out of the car, never see the face. Like this scene is an opening. How effective did you find it? Yeah, tremendously so. Um, obviously, um, they drop off in this one wee area, and obviously, knowing what the kind of the plot of the film is, um, you're kind of already on kind of like tensions are already kind of high. Um, you have that wee short release where like the firework goes off like ne- right next to the car, but then you've obviously got the car comes in, drives off, comes back in, and then you just know that something's just going to happen. And surprisingly, the gunshot actually comes like very very quickly. So it's like, oh, oh, damn, like we're at- that's it. We're in. We're in for something here. We're not messing around straight away. Thrust into it, and then, yeah, there's quite a few instances that are like that uh, in the opening, kind of like half an hour of that that just kind of gets the ball rolling, and yeah, very effective in that way. Um, just the fact that it manages to just very much sets the tone and the mystery, and yeah, tensions are high straight away. Yeah, and I love, I love how they're they're inventive with not shooting his face. They use a lot of lighting. Obviously, he has the flashlight in his gun. It's easy to hide it, hiding behind the sort of windscreen the of the car, good cuts and stuff. I, I really enjoyed it. And Jack, we get the other killings as well. The one up at the lake in Napa, uh, where he ties makes the students tie each other up, and then he stabs them to death quite gruesomely. We've got the one with the taxi driver. Do you think? Did you find the rest of these scenes effective or? Do you wish that we could have cut some of the killings? Did we need to see 
all of these Zodiac killings early doors, or do you think it was too much, or did you like it? Uh, no, I was I was on board with it. I thought it was it was class, particularly uh, just to comment on the first scene that you were talking about. I think it was a good opening. Um, I also liked um, what Angus said there, the mystery of it, because there's almost this, uh, always gets the impression that Darlene knows who it is. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. She's almost fully aware of who it is at the time, uh, leaving Mike completely kind of in the dark with that. Um, mm. And then it becomes, again, as we go further through the film, and it becomes more and more of a mystery and more and more of a head fuck. It's like, um, we do come back to this point that we have, as the audience, actually seen Darlene yeah. react in a particular way. So there is more reason to believe that um, you know Darlene knows the killer um, at this point. And then, yeah, for the other isolated murders that, of course, you know, he, he certainly doesn't have um, any particular structure to his killing. You know, other than killing kind of lone, lone couples and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's it's certainly. Certainly enjoyable up up until the point, and I think they do what David Fincher does well, or even for the screenwriters for that matter, they do mm-hmm. set the tone nicely for um, giving us a, a taste of all these different killings and how mad he is, and then to give us a huge period of time where he's completely radio silent. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, the you know the people on the case are still working. And I think that gives us time to kind of mull it over as an audience rather than continuously getting. What Angus said earlier, uh, he actually didn't say it earlier, he said it off air, mind you, but yeah. he was talking about uh, <laughs> how it all comes really fast-paced and, and and it's like, you know, you're getting it flung at you. That, that This could be a potential person. Oh, no, wait, that's been defunct. Right? There's somebody else. and oh, no, okay, that's been defunct. And I think, um, yeah, it's something that it does well until a very certain point where it becomes um, a lot more linear. And, you know, when we start to narrow it down as both the audience and uh, you know, as the characters start to narrow it down, it mm-hmm. it just becomes. Uh, if anything, it became more exciting towards the end because I was just dying to know who it was. Um, I think I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because it does give you that grace period in the middle. You know what I mean? And then just at the right time, it hooks you back in with a suspect. You know what I mean? Like it, it's really, it's really great. And James Van Der Vliet, who writes the script, he's had a he's had a touch and go career as a screenwriter. Like he was the he penned the amazing Spider Man film. You know what I mean? Uh, which you know, not a fan of. Uh, to be to be perfectly honest, oh, you you got to give them some credit. It's still, I think they're still decent. The uh, Amazing Spider-Man, they're both as standalone films, are absolutely not to be sniffed at. Uh, of course, of course, you're going to compare. He also did Independence Day Resurgence, uh, which which is not which is not a good film. Well, I can't speak for that, but it does sound absolutely <laughs> shit, mate. Honestly. Honestly, one of the worst trips in the cinema I've ever like a bottom five movie I've seen in the cinema, honest to God. But anyway, we, we move on. Um and Angus, we get we get these killings, but we also get uh, to see what's happening at the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, we get the impression that Robert, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, isn't particularly liked there. You know, he's a single da, you know, he's just trying to get on with his business, Boy Scout as he's called. And but it's Paul Avery, Downey Jr.'s character, who starts to slowly see that. You know, he's getting things right. He's the one who said he won't give away his identity. He's the one who said he'll send an hour letter. He's the one who identifies the link to the most dangerous game film as well that's referenced within the Zodiac letters. Did you like the growth of that relationship uh, in the first part of this movie? Yeah. Um, as you say, um, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, he's kind of like the the black sheep of like the kind of uh, newspaper group 
um, and I, him and uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, they begin to like grow um, closer to each other. I would have liked to have seen a wee bit more kind of depth added to it, a wee bit more of like their kind of relationship and they're working together. I do feel yeah. that as a wee bit kind of um, underdone in many ways. Like mm-hmm. you kind of just see them um, at this bar and then suddenly they hit it off and then it just seems as if like from there everything is kind of like normal for them. Um, mm-hmm. But I do feel like the kind of the deeper kind of meanings towards like the kind, especially those two characters in general kind of suffered from being a wee bit underdone but I'm sure we'll kind of get on to that a wee bit later but yeah yeah, I did think um, especially in that kind of opening bit it was building the blocks in the correct way and obviously both kind of likeable characters obviously um, Robert Downey Jr. was a wee bit more Robert Downey Jr. like a wee bit more <laughs> swazzy yeah, a wee bit more a wee bit more cheeky arrogant kind of way and obviously Jake Gyllenhaal was the more silent one so yeah it was creating a, an interesting dynamic that was building up hope to be continued throughout the rest of the film do I think so, it necessarily completed that kind of turn? Not entirely so. Not entirely so. Another partnership that we do see, Jack, though, is um, it's with uh, Dave Toshi, who's Mark Ruffalo's character, and a guy who I was so excited to see show up again as like the B person in a partnership. And that's Anthony Edwards, infamously playing Goose and Top Gun. What a man. What a man. I was like, yes, it's Goose. I hadn't really seen him in anything else. Uh, but they show up firstly with the taxi uh, driver killings and then they start to get this plan obviously they get the letter the guy's like I want to talk to Melvin Belly on TV played by like I said Scotland's own uh, Brian Cox like Jack when their relationship started to really take a foothold in the movie do you think those were the bits that you favoured rather than the reporter bits Did you, like you said earlier there was more to Toshi's character for you I uh, definitely there was more uh, more excitement in what the actual police were going to offer us than, than what the press were offering because the press will print anything, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get, and that's something that I think the movie addresses as well, where um, Avery's character, obviously, <sighs> there's, there's um, reluctance to believe everything that he says or there's reluctance to believe fully in his motives because is he trying to actually get this guy out? You know, is he trying to, um, uh, what's the word? Trying to blow out this guy basically, or or yeah. is he in it for himself to you know get the plaudits for the Chronicle and and move forward in his own journalism career? But mm-hmm. no, I, I think it it's got that good balance as we mentioned. Um, there's uh, there's enough of both sides of things to 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 see what the real world and how they react to this sort of thing. In the day, people are dying. I think it, it should be the responsibility of the police to to do this. Do you know what I mean? The mm-hmm. of course reporters know that have a can have a good say and, and when you get characters like um Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Robert, when you get people like him who aren't necessarily police officers but are motivated to try and find someone because they believe what they're doing is evil, that's mm-hmm. realistically in real life, that's the kind of people you want to have around. Um and I do like I do like his progression in the in the film to be honest, because he does go from well, he doesn't actually progress that much in terms of personality, but certainly um, he gathers momentum and basically what he's doing. He's been in that job for for the best part of fifteen years. I think we watched that yeah. uh, in that film. So you <laughs> would like to have thought he would have learned something in that time. And you know, <laughs> by the end of the film, he's certainly you know he's all guns blazing, like trying to find every sort of lead he possibly can. Yeah, it's um, all, it's, it shows his sort of dissension into almost madness, doesn't it? Like he's just absolutely uh, by the end of it, his hair's all over the place. <laughs> he's like, uh, he's no slept for days and everything. Yeah, um, he's that's good. 
Well, good evening. Oh, sorry, I, just, I, I think that is quite an interesting bit within the film as well. Obviously, we talked about like how the media and that are kind of like looking to put themselves over and that. I think you kind of get a wee bit of an instinct with the police kind of doing that as well. Um, they're all kind of obviously working on the case because they all keep on getting sent different things, but um, they don't really work together perfectly well. They're all kind of haggling with uh, one another to make sure that they all get extra bits for like one another. They can't just send something over. They have to kind of haggle to get something themselves. Jake yeah, Gyllenhaal's uh, character is literally the only one who is going to each of them and being straight up and they're being straight up to him. I don't know if it's because he is this independent factor, but I did think that was quite interesting as well. Yeah, that's, I, that's actually something that kind of annoyed me about it. And again, this is where me and my, my battle with realism comes in. Like, <laughs> they have all this information at disposal. I get that it's obviously in some in some way or another trying to um, paint the police system or the, the police departments across these different counties or whatever you want to call them. Mm. Um, I suppose it's trying to show them to be in a bit lackadaisical and a bit um, narcissistic in their ways and quite insular and stuff. I, I completely understand that. But at the end of the day, like when you've got somebody who is actually managing to send handwritten letters to the police, um, threatening to kill and or, and or also killing, like you would just... You would like to think there would there would be better <laughs> they would be better equipped to deal with this kind of thing, and like yeah. I said, to have one guy one guy in the whole like state that can uh, verify handwriting, you know what I mean? I was I'm looking to myself I'm looking towards the end of the film when um, when Toski actually asks another opinion, like he asks like the guy who taught him. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, what's the guy's Sherwood? Sherwood's the guy that that. Um, that studies all the handwriting and yeah. he taught some other guy. So he asked the other guy who he taught. And I'm thinking, right, well, why is this other guy not been verifying what Sherwood's doing? Because at the end of the day, Sherwood's getting on a bit, you know. He's uh, mm. He may have had plenty of experience in handwriting, but at the end of the day, it's a movie and I need to get over myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> if this turns out to have happened in real life, though, you should, you should go to uh, California and be like, listen... I don't know what the, the business strategy here was, but he's done it all wrong here. I love it, I love it. Well, we've got to talk about the meeting this. We've got to talk about some suspects. Yeah. And the first real suspect comes in when um they get this they get this first and the biggest one is uh, Arthur Lee Allen. And we get that first scene where they go to his work. And the cutting is here is great, the editing's great, the close-ups are great. We see we see at the same time as Toshi sees that watch in his hand. Mm-hmm. Like in a movie like this, you're paying attention to everything that's going on. And you're like, that's the Zodiac wristwatch that was being <laughs> that was being talked about earlier on. I know for a fact it is. And he keeps Angus, what he keeps doing here that really in my mind like solidified him as this is the guy at this point. He keeps preempting their questions. He's like on oh, but he crosses his legs. He's so confident in control. He's like, oh by the way, the knife, yeah, I was using that to to kill chickens. Oh, and by the way, this, by the way, that. Like wh- what did you think of the way this scene played out? It's definitely framed to put it in your mind that this guy is it because as you say, every single question that's there everything just points towards him being the killer. The fact that he knows everything that's going to be asked of him, the fact that he's got alibis set out straight away, and the fact that some of the alibis are just straight up ridiculous as well. I mean, like, oh, I was using these knives to kill a chicken. It's like, okay, like, that's totally normal and not something that should probably be looked into a wee bit further <laughs> more. Um, but yeah, yeah, aye. 
it definitely frames it up to be like, yeah, this guy, he's he is who we think, who the film creators think is the the killer because it is just like you could have like big arrows in that, like with killer pointing towards him during the scene and all, <laughs> because everything is just kind of pointing towards the fact that he's done it. Yeah, it's just. I do enjoy this scene. I do think it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, all signs point towards um, John Carroll Lynch's character taking quite yeah. the quite the different turn from his um, role in Fargo as the kind of the complete yeah. opposite of this the the loving father or uh, the loving it's, husband. Sorry, but the yeah. complete maniac here, <laughs> Mister Norm Gunderson himself. I only remember his name because I love it. So Norm Gunderson, <laughs> an absolute great character name. But Jack, this is where I'm going to let you unleash here because he he's so protective over the fact that he's ambidextrous. Like he, he downright lies about it at first, and then he's like, "Oh, teachers tried to make me right with this hand, but I'm definitely a left-handed." I think it is. He says, um, and "Yes." It's one of those things where when that information comes back and they say it's not a match, you're just you you must be just pointing at the screen, absolutely fucking raging at that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I get what Angus is saying because it is it's absolutely trying to lead you in that direction so that it can do another David Fincher. <laughs> Kid, no, didn't he? <laughs> uh, so it was just it was typical of it, but at the same time, I was like, wait, well, I'm completely still not ruling him out because he was like so ridiculous in his interrogation that uh, like I, I don't understand how you can't just arrest him there and then <laughs> after the back of what he said <laughs> to be completely honest because they go away and they speak to a judge and they're like oh it's still not enough evidence to get a warrant and I'm going are you sure like <laughs> he's got the watch that you have just that you've got all the evidence to say that I can't even really remember the exact thing but it yeah. was like the some sort of poster it's the only thing that, that Zodiac and this particular thing comes up and I'm going right well you've got very limited options here surely you can at least arrest them you know on grounds of do you know what I mean I don't know there's something needs to be done anyway but I think uh, yeah it's played well played out really nicely the pacing of it's excellent Um, Mark Ruffle at the end just like watching him as he walks by like looking at him like yeah we've got him we've got him kind of thing Um, when obviously the the end of it um, you know they don't get him (laughs) effectively but yeah, right. I just I, I would have liked to see if I, if I was to really unleash on this and how I would like to have seen a bit I don't know more ways that they couldn't have just actually arrested him or ways that they couldn't have got a warrant than just like tongue in cheek the, the judge isn't going to get you a warrant like because yeah. see if the judge was sitting there during that interrogation the judge would have pulled that a pair of handcuffs he's selling <laughs> you know what I mean because for one he announces for one he announces kids right so like have we not even just arresting him on grounds announcing kids no okay okay we're not doing that so what about the murders um, well he's got a Zodiac watch on and the Zodiac killer is called Zodiac and it's the only thing that the Zodiac links back to that uh, such and such found out yeah. and going right well there's two strikes out of three so what is possibly the third strike that really we need to get this man down uh, and yeah the kind of be all end all that he does get uh, ID'd by Mike Magoo it's like well I'm not actually that surprised to be completely honest um, <laughs> you also do like a thing with like I'm not sure like obviously how these crime scene investigations go but he's saying that like the blood on the knife is from like chickens is there not a way to do like a sample to even not, not even to see if it is like chicken blood to just see if it's human blood yeah you know, it would definitely would, kind of point yeah, it as well towards yeah. <laughs> 
That, that confuses me so. as well. There was, there's definitely a few loose ends that I think, right, yeah, you've done great to, to make me believe that it's him, but you've not done well in convincing me that it's not him when the time comes, if that makes sense. Like, because they obviously try to, you know, send you for a hot dog with that one and go, right, aye, that's him there. And then... <laughs> Wait move, for your half-time you pie. Ah, you have to move. You have to move on, and it's seven years later, and we've not got this guy. And, and I'm, I'm just, ah, in the back of my mind, I'm going right. He's still to me the main suspect. And then we start getting this Rick Marshall guy's name thrown about. And I'm going well. You've not actually shown me anything of this Rick Marshall. This other guy, just because he's got ambidextrous hands and can he, like, and doesn't have the same handwriting as this guy, doesn't mean that he doesn't have an accomplice. It just writes his letters for him. Like there's well, so many, there was so many ways that I was just thinking. Right, see in real life, I do think if they had thought about the idea of multiple people on this, you know, on a case or uh, sorry, multiple people on, you know, on this yeah. sort of rampage, then they might have got a bit further just by stopping narrowing it down to handwriting, as if that's the only thing you can distinguish someone by. I mean, if if the people not seen scream. You know what I mean? Like it's always two killers, mate. It's two fucking killers. Uh, but I, I actually think that's the point of the movie, Jack. I, like I genuinely believe that's that's the emotion that Fincher wants you to elicit. Like because it's like it didn't get solved. Like that's that's the point of it. Like mm-hmm. the police had this information. The information that we are seeing is, as yeah. far as I can tell from my research, all Try the real life yeah. shit that they had. And nothing got done. No one got arrested for it. Like the Zodiac killer got away with it at the end of the day you know what I mean that's mm. a real life thing that's it's not a fictional thing and if it was a fictional movie I'd completely agree with you like ah that's unrealistic but I think that's that's the beauty of this film that is it's, that it's, it exposes uh, it's pointing it. the fingers it, yeah it just shows you like how ridiculous actually is this <laughs> that no one actually that this guy did not get arrested at this time for it but and I think that's the thing because Angus it leads to the descent of all of these characters essentially like we have Toshi who gets demoted after the frame of the letter. He's, Goose quits the police force as well, as for a transfer, you know what I mean? So I'm like, you're just like, farewell Goose again, you know what I mean, after he died in Top Gun. <laughs> uh, and then you've got Avery, who, after getting threatened, just spirals into drinking drugs and goes to a lesser paper. Like, uh, because Eddie from Friends shows up uh, in terms of, <laughs> and takes his job. And I was like, don't trust that man. I've seen what he did to Chandler. Uh, but really, at this point, it becomes, it becomes Jake Gyllenhaal's movie. It becomes Robert Graysmith's movie at this point. Um, and he really takes control. But what did you think about the progression of his character? Jack's put it one way and said he's really came into his own, but you could also say that he, he puts this case above everything else in his life. Where did you stand on it? Um, yeah, I can to continue on from just the point you made there about um, obviously he puts out the everything like above his life and all of that. I do think that that's something that the film could have done a lot better to explore. Mm. Um, because obviously you do see him just suddenly become so in fact like fascinated with it. And the only kind of like real thing that we have to go off on the fact of why he's becoming so enamoured by this case is he likes puzzles and like you don't really see an awful lot of kind of else of what like he's kind of inspiring him. Sure, you can just kind of point, oh, he just wants to do good, but like I feel like the film really missed a trick here by kind of delving into that kind of his like psyche of like everything yeah. that was going on, um, especially like regarding how it was like affecting his family life. I mean, so obviously he meets him, um, Chloe Savigny's character. And she 
like obviously the first date, the, the strangest first date of all. And then you <laughs> just fast forward to the fact that they're like having kids, and then suddenly she's away taking the kids somewhere else. I don't think I think that that's something in this kind of drama that it really could have done with really exploring his kind of like mental side of it, how he was approaching this. Why was he like really sacrificing all like of his um, like his family's life essentially when like threats and phone calls started being made, rather than just kind of shrugging off to the side and just continuing as he did. I don't know if that's maybe the kind of point that he is just hell bent on getting this correct that he won't stop at anything. But like, why? Why is that? Like, I just kind of need a wee bit more there. And I kind of feel like the same, the kind of character progression with Robert Downey Jr. as well. It's just like, he just kind of descends into madness and then they just sort of chuck him to the side because, and then it just appears later on slightly in wee bits where they kind of need him. But, yeah, I do think that that's kind of something that they missed a trick on. I do agree with you, and I think it's the case that maybe the film tried to do too much, but also part of me thinks, does it need explained? And what I mean by that is that I think the Zodiac case taps into this thing of human nature. Like, anecdotally, right, after I watched this film and sort of preparing for it, I'm going down like a Google fucking rabbit hole. You know what I mean? <laughs> like myself in 2021 thinking, could I solve the Zodiac case? You know what I mean? Like there are people genuinely to this day still trying to solve this murder, like beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know what I mean? And it's it's that human instinct to none of us like the unknown. We need to know things. And I think that's, that's at the core of Robert Graysmith's character here is that he had a boring job as a cartoonist. No one liked him at his work. You know what I mean? That's just where it stems from is that he needed a purpose in life. And Zodiac, in a warped way, gave him that purpose. You know, and without it, I don't think he knew who he was. And But I, I do think you're right. I think more overtly that could have been explored. And I think if you maybe focused on one character uh, in Graysmith, from the get-go all the way through instead of that second half it could have been a bit more powerful like Jack do you have anything to say on this uh, when we're here uh, I, I I do actually disagree with, with you a wee bit there just what you said about I, I actually think he gets enough of the the screen time in the first half to mm. to see him lingering and looming as uh, <laughs> Avery, as Avery puts it I think he's always been really interested and fascinated in this case and always wanted to get involved in it as we've seen from the early parts of the movie, and he's always like, oh, haven't you got a deadline, you wee fucking idiot? And then he just scurries <laughs> off home. Uh, that's that's all I can really remember from the first part, but I think that's, again, like it's this idea that he's kind of um, completely uh, dismissed in his workplace, and I think it, it only becomes, this becomes a real challenge for him. Nobody's been working on this case for so long, and he's like, this could be my thing. But also at the same time, I completely agree with uh, Angus well, and yourself as well. I do think that the motivations for him to just completely, you know, up tools and do this over his family and that, it just seems a bit strange and a bit sad given the fact that, you know, he, he was a single parent himself and then, you know, mm-hmm. got got to where he is now to kind of throw it all away for the sake of, you know, a case that's completely buried in the sand already. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I, you know, if I was in his position and had any sort of influence, possibly wouldn't be putting it over my family, but definitely would would want to give it a shot and look into it. It's, it's so it's, it's so interesting. I think that's what makes him an interesting character is that there's something like you said, 
he's a sad character, but there's something admirable about him at the same time. You know what I mean? It's hard for me to sort of weigh up my feelings on him because I'm just like, sort of good on you, but at the same time, I'm like, mate, just go and fucking have a steak dinner and enjoy yourself. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like fucking have a beer. You know what I mean? But anyway, his investigation does lead to our next break in the case, and it's my favourite scene in the movie. Like, the Rick Marshall stuff. He's tracking down Darlene's sister. Read some of this. The Rick Marshall guy who worked at a cinema. He had a friend called Bob Vaughn. Angus, he goes down to Bob Vaughn's gaff and it looks like it's all kicking off. Like, what did you think about this scene? Yeah, you can just kind of tell it like, kind of instantly um, when like, the kind of events start to unfurl that it's just very un- uncomfortable. Um, mm. Like, for example, like all the kind of things that they kind of pluck up from the past, obviously one of the key points that he talked about was the fact that somebody... Um, the likes of the basements and not many people had them in LA yeah. as soon as that happens you're like oh no what's going to happen here <laughs> get um, in the house <laughs> and then you go down and then there's just a whole bunch of other stuff and it's just like oh dear and then it's just so creepy as well just the way that like like I'm I'm like 24 year old nobody ever kind of just if they're in like a basement or even if they're just like downstairs Nobody turns the light off just like that and then just walks so slowly out like from oh. where they've been. It's so just like, yeah, just makes your skin crawl. Uh, skin crawl. And then obviously like, the door's kind of locked and all of that as well. And it's just like, right, is this going to be the end of obviously the reporter? But obviously they can't really do anything because then all if something happens to this guy who's like reporting on the Zodiac Killer, then all signs are going to point towards this guy, aren't they? So, oh, totally. ah, it's just a, it's a very, very um, tension-filled scene. I think it's handled tremendously well. And what the thing is, I think it's perfect casting because Charles Fleischer, obviously, he's known for sort of being a, a good guy, almost. Like, he's got a really friendly face, demeanour. The voice of fucking Roger Rabbit. You know what I mean? Like, you're thinking, like, this this can't be the guy. You know, <laughs> Bob Vaughn can't be the guy. But as soon as he says, I was the one who did the posters, you're just like, holy <laughs> fuck. Get yourself out that house now, my friend. Do not go in the basement. Jack, were you a fan of this scene as well? Yeah, I was a big fan. It gave me, gave me kind of prisoner's vibes a wee bit when, uh, mm. at the, the end when he goes to visit the house. Um when Hugh Jackman goes to visit the house it is and it's like kind of return to the I know the scene of the crime that's not the right phrase but you get what I mean yeah. he kinda, he's kind of returned to it now and he's almost like so close and, and so close to what is the end um, now this bit kind of confused me a wee bit because it obviously leads you to then believe that Bob Vaughn uh, is very much involved whether it be through handwriting or not um, so I, want, I actually wanted to ask what your take on that was, because I don't know if it's a deliberate thing by Fincher to throw in as yeah. a bit of a curveball again or not, because there's <sighs> not, I kind of finished off by going, right, okay, it definitely was that Lee guy that was doing all the, the murdering, but was this Bob Vaughn indeed an accomplice in, in doing the the writing for it, or has he been hired by Lee to do fake writing? Do you know, like, do you know what I mean? To well, do this the is the thing. To make sure that it matches yeah. someone else. Or... This is the thing, because at this point, remember, we've talked about this infamous uh, Sherwood, you know what I mean? Uh, Dr. Sherwood, <laughs> who's, who's by this point, like we said, drinks as much as Avery, is that all you used in the script as well? So we don't actually know if 
is Vaughn's handwriting a close enough match? You know what I mean? It throws all that into doubt. It throws everything about him into doubt, which I actually have a slight problem with this scene because as good as it is structurally, because the, the beauty of this scene is that we he hides his face in the same way the Zodiac hides his face for the murders behind that pillar in the darkness, right? It, it's another false finish, so structurally it fits brilliant in the script. I just think that Charles Fleischer overcooks it a wee bit because he plays it like a serial killer. You know, he mm-hmm. plays it like a psychopath. And I, I think if you had an actor in there playing it a bit more subtly, you know, undercooking it a bit more, saying the same lines, but not in as a fucking, you know, Joker edition as Charles Fleischer was. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think it might have been a bit more effective in a slightly, you know, creepier way, but I'm, I'm no sure. I'm no sure. It is one of those ones, again, brilliant structure, brilliant scene on its own, but I do have a slight problem, Jack, like what you're saying, in terms of the context of the movie and the placement in the movie and what the movie wants us to think, it is a bit confusing. You know what I mean? But it does get a bit cleared up. You know, we get to the end and basically it's proven beyond any shadow of a doubt that it's our man. You know what I mean? That is Lee. It's Arthur Lee Allen. He goes to visit Darlene and he's like, was it? It was Rick. Tell me it's Rick. And she's like, nah, guy named Lee. Uh, Grace Smith shows up at Toshi's house in the middle of the night. They have breakfast. Basically, crack the case open. And Jack, you must have been so frustrated <laughs> with the line that, that Toshi delivers. I can't prove this. Because <laughs> at that point, I'm just thinking, why? <laughs> Why can't you prove it? Aye, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, some surely somebody was just fucking tape recording everything he said in his interrogation. We've also already got the fact that he was touching kids. It's the exact same guy <laughs> that had the janitor's job or whatever he did at the school <laughs> that had been, you know, he had been reported before. Um, you've got the, all this stuff on Darwin's The birthday thing. Stuff, the birthday thing. Oh, that's, in fact, a yeah, birthday thing for sure. Like, fuck me, you had 2,000... They, they go on about 2,500 different suspects every time. Every time they go, like, oh, how many suspects we got? 2,500, 2,500. Out of 2,500s, could you know I just checked the birthdays to see if any of them matched the day that he <laughs> fucking phoned that Berlin guy? Uh, do you know what I mean? That That's another one. Yeah, definitely towards the end, that, that one was another sort of crack for me that I thought, right, we could have cleared that up slightly better. And it would have just made it a wee bit more effective because I get that you're trying to show how stupid they are, but surely, like, dates, you know, if you're going to go by handwriting for everything, surely dates is your next protocol. Like, let's mm. let's check the dates of the birthdays. They were trying to track all the dates of the killings and all that, so, you know, surely they would have had days that were particularly of note, like they did 4th of July and the Christmas date, because that was, you know... yeah particular dates where he'd done killing. He had, so, his, he had his fucking kids checking the lunar cycle at one point. Yeah, you know that's I mean? what I mean. <laughs> I, I, just, I just thought, like, for what you've shown us here, that I, I was expecting a better turnout. Like, I feel like there's definitely things that they've missed mm. um, that you can't really explain why they've missed them, if you know what I mean. Or you can't really explain to say they're incompetent because nobody's surely that incompetent. Or... <laughs> If they were wasn't. I know but that's what I mean like if, if they were like I would have liked to have seen them really play up the, the idea that um, fucking like uh, Riverside, Riverside isn't talking to yeah uh, like Valero, the lack of do you know what I mean Valero, yeah, 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 yeah Valero isn't talking to them and 
like between the police, different police departments and the different mm-hmm. counties. If there was like a serious breakdown of communication or like a kind of stalemate with them, then I would understand it. But in the day, they actually did start to cooperate, and that's why I was like, right, well, if you had all this at like the beginning, like please yeah. tell me you didn't just argue about it because of your jurisdiction because totally. that's just stupid <laughs> it's just stupid it's just fucking stupid you know <laughs> that's the that's the thing like there's the line that Graysmith says earlier in the film like his wife Melanie is like when is you going to stop and he's like I just want to look someone in the eyes and know they did it and uh, Angus that actually happens with um, Graysmith walking into Avery's uh, into, no, sorry Alan's new work and he looks at him right in the eye and Alan knows who he is like what did you think of this moment between the two characters there yeah um it basically tells you everything you need to know um you mentioned just that line there that you just wants to look at somebody and know it's them and that's exactly how it pans out um takes a trip to halford and there's alan there just uh, <laughs> working away on the calendars um but i again it just kind of cements the fact that it's alan again and i can understand uh uh, Jack's kind of frustrations because it's just like why have we not been having this guy the entire decade or that that we've been going for aye. Um, but aye, that, that final scene it's very very gripping because there's not an awful lot said, it's just an awful lot of them just and just a kind of natural kind of um, meeting, just to kind of look at each other it's just nothing really said but you know the complete meaning of it entirely and yeah, yeah very very solid ending to the film and although some people will be kind of disappointed that there isn't like a, a complete resolution. I think it does kind of give you that kind of satisfaction that, I mean, like everything just seems to be pointing towards this one guy, doesn't it? Yeah, and we do have that coda as well that we alluded to earlier. Uh, Jag, I'm sure your frustration continued because mine did, like, when they sort of fake us out a wee bit because, uh, what's his name, Mike comes in and the new, the new guy, I'm like, at that point I was pretty like, ah, new guy on the scene, you've not been here the entire time, son. All right, you don't know what's happened here. You don't know what's <laughs> went down. These people have been through these, like, do I see, identify any of those men? And he points towards Alan, and then he's like, he's like, you sure? He's like, yeah, that's him, that's him. And then he's like, he did have a round face like this guy. And I was like, no, no, do not do that. <laughs> like, please, <laughs> please. And then he's like, how sure are you? He's like, at least eight out of 10. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Like, that just basically <laughs> sums up the entire case, doesn't it? Like, these, uh, these just be experts in movies. <laughs> like you finally managed to get this Mike Magoo on the phone like <laughs> fucking this long like this long ago like what was it nearly 18 years later or something probably, ah, it was late, probably later than that uh, it was um, it was 1991 oh 91 so from 69 to 91 yep. I can't yep. even be asked in the mask but yeah <laughs> fucking hell of a long time <laughs> that's ridiculous like surely uh, they actually do mention a couple of times both Robert and I think um, probably uh, probably Toshi says that they can't get in touch with Mike McGoon. I can't really remember why the reason that for that is. I just they just town. they just don't know what he was. I just fled, didn't they? Oh, right. <laughs> just pull him back, you know, in 1991, and be like, right now, can we get a identify uh, an identification on this man, please? And yeah, I know another another wee David Fincher fake ball, like fake uh, mm. curveball, just for. Absolute sake of it. I had a round pump face of this guy here. Definitely definitely still this guy. (laughs) What's your score at a 10? I'm like, right, well, surely it's a 9 or a 10. Like, you've just pointed to him immediately out of six men, and now you're now 
in the last basically like five seconds you've changed your mm. answer. Mm. No, I, well, Jack, you, you asked yourself the question, what's your, what's your score out of 10 for, for Zodiac as a whole? <laughs> as a whole, I, I would probably, I would be, yeah, I would say probably an 8, but mm. I think also there are potentially people who will overrate it because it's Fincher and they, they yeah. love to pure spaff off to that stuff. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think I would have liked the things that we've discussed, like possibly other character motivations and maybe even, I, I think if they played up the sort of incompetency of the police department slightly yeah. better, like just that wee bit more, just that, yeah. just to give us like, because I feel, I feel like we want to like Toshi in that. Mm-hmm. And I feel, I also find it hard to feel that they're incompetent, hard to see them as incompetent when I'm yeah. kind of like, you're clearly a smart guy, you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But what I'm at, with the results that I'm getting on the screen are not are not matching up. So I think if there was a little bit more of incompetency from these kind of characters, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think I would have got on board with it and understood it a bit better. Nice. And uh, Angus, I'll come to you, obviously, your overall thoughts in the movie, a score, but you look at David Fincher's filmography, Alien 3, 7, The Game, Fight Club, <laughs> Panic Room, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Social Network, Get with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl and Mank. Where do you also think this roughly ranks in his overall filmography, if you're looking at it as a whole? I mean, immediately, um, I do feel like for me, Zodiac comes up at a big disadvantage because my one of my favourite films, not even just a Fincher, but of all time, is Seven. So nice, nice. Pairing up another like kind of crime drama against it, and those kind of things that I was kind of talking about as well with the kind of like character motivations and that. I think that's something that Seven absolutely kind of nails that this mm. doesn't as much. Yeah. So I feel like that's the kind of things that kind of makes it kind of lacking for me. Still think it's really good. Um, obviously, it's better than Alien Three. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, very very solid um, filmmaker. Obviously, he's um, made a whole bunch of great stuff. I do think that it is very hard to kind of separate them. And even if there is things that you do think are better than others, for example, I'd say Seven's probably the pick of the best. I then do kind of feel that there is kind of a collection that are all. They're not too dissimilar. They're not too far off. I would probably give this maybe like a like a seven and a half, like probably just under like an eight, eight an eight out of ten. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like most of his kind of work is that kind of solid, like say like Gone Girl and that. I'd probably see Gone Girl's a wee bit stronger as well, just in terms of like character and that as well. Yes. Um, that kind of just tips it over. So maybe a wee bit less than kind of some of his other features, but you know, still very damn solid. Like I mean, if. If you're going to say that this is probably one of his kind of lower films, um, mm. from my point of view, I mean, that's still a hell of an achievement, I would say. Yeah, he's clearly attracted to scripts. You bring up Seven, he's clearly attracted to scripts that play off of that traditional mystery film format. You know what I mean? We've talked about the false finishes and the structure of this movie, but then you look at Seven halfway through the movie, the fucking suspect just shows up, hands himself in. You know what I mean? So it's like he's clearly he's clearly got a thing. He's clearly got a type. Uh, let me say, uh, and I agree. Seven's probably like my third favorite movie of all time. Even though Jack, you've you've failed to watch it twice at this point, haven't you? Oh, get on to it, man. Uh, I've been disappointed with it both times. Like. Uh- I, um, I tell you, I lied to if I actually, I think I did complete it the last time, but yeah, oh, it just, uh, um, it was, pro- yeah, it was probably in some state that I, I couldn't properly get <laughs> it. So, um, again, 
yeah, I'm uh, zero for two, unfortunately, watching it. But um, <laughs> based on that sort of reasoning, my I think my rating for Zodiac would be higher. I would put uh, I prefer Zodiac. Other than that, other Fincher stuff apart from Gone Girl, I don't think I've seen. I've not seen Alien. Social network. Um, oh well, you know my thoughts on social network. I forgot about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Very yeah, good. I, I, it doesn't look like Fincher's scoring that highly in my in my chart. But Zodiac for me was probably one of the better ones. But I, again, I think there's a difference. I think what Zodiac suits is a movie for podcasting. If that makes sense. Nice. Um, because <laughs> see, see watching this with the intent of knowing that I'm going to have to come on and talk about it, I did really enjoy it. It's loads of talking points in it. Obviously, the whole uh, element of mystery. Yeah. But I think if you were to do the same with Alien, for example, I probably wouldn't have the same enthusiasm to come on and talk about it now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Jack Higgins hates David Fincher. Confirmed. <laughs> All right. Uh, but does Jack Higgins hate the Suicide Squad, uh, the new trailer for the upcoming movie directed by uh, Mr. James Gunn of Guardians of the Galaxy fame um, is coming out? We've got our first trailer. It's rated R. Uh, basically, the Suicide Squad, uh, Task Force X, are in an R. Nice wee romp uh, to a South American island uh, to destroy Jotunheim, a Nazi-era prison and laboratory which held political prisoners and conducted experiments. It stars the likes of Margot Robbie, Idris Elba is in there as Bloodsport. Uh, you can't see him, but I guarantee you that John Cena is in there as Peacemaker, <laughs> um, among others such as Scotland's own Peter Capaldi. Uh, Jack, what were your thoughts on the Suicide Squad trailer? Uh, I, I don't know. Mm. I, I really don't know, mate, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, possibly better than the first one, but I, I, I honestly think Harley Quinn annoys me too much wow. at this point. She, Birds of Prey, I turned off. What? Did you uh, like Birds of Prey? No, nah, I hated it. Oh, I love Birds hated of Prey it. as well. Hated yeah. it, and I think, I think I've now I've built enough of a a stigma <laughs> around it that, <laughs> that I don't think I don't think that it's going to ever really have the same effect on me to yeah. be honest um, yeah yeah Sad. I think Sad that times. is it that is it <laughs> to be honest you just don't I like don't know Harley what, Quinn <laughs> and I also don't know what I'm expecting from, from Peter Capaldi either I don't know uh, what about Sylvester Stallone as a giant shark? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's um, exactly what I actually put that application in. That, that was me that, <laughs> me that suggested that, to, funnily enough. Angus, are you slightly more positive than, than Jack? I hate Margot Robbie and David Fincher Higgins. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we talked about this kind of briefly off uh, before we started this. I can never. I'm never ever going to put my eggs in the DC basket until the credits have rolled on that film. I just never know what's really going to happen. Um, to go on to uh, Jack's kind of point about Margot Robbie and Harley Quinn, I'm not entirely sure if I feel like she fits in well with this kind of um, kind of like cast in that. Mm. Um, I did enjoy Birds of Prey, and I just kind of would like to see her do kind of more stuff involving that rather than being, you know, the kind of tentpole figure of like this kind of just ragtag team. Yeah. Um, there's obviously um, this film's going to have an absolute bucket load of characters. I mean, like Idris Elba, and that's um, 
going to be like battling it for time with Margot Robbie, John Cena, Viola Davis. I mean, mm. I'm um, slightly optimistic about it because James Gunn, obviously, um, the last time that he took a group of characters that nobody had heard of, he turned out into gold, didn't he, with Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy? So totally. I will be kind of looking forward to seeing it, but at the same time, see if it just comes out to be like a pile of guff. <laughs> I wouldn't be entirely surprised, in all honesty. So, yeah, I think I'll need to see more of it. There are things I am intrigued to see what happens. Um, there is a lot of like kind of characters in there that I'm just kind of interested to see what they're like. Um, like the John yeah. Cena in this kind of non-PG environment will be very interesting. Totally. Um, obviously, Sylvester Stallone be a big massive shark. I mean, if that's what you want to see in your kind of ridiculous comic, comic <laughs> film, isn't it? So, totally. I'm going, to, I'm going to remain quite impartial and just sit on the, uh, the fence for now. Uh, I know that's quite boring, but there's not um, enough of it in there that's making me go, right, take my money now. But there's nothing really that's deterring me either. I think Pete Davidson dies after the first five minutes in this island. I think Pete Davidson's there to get blown up immediately. Not of this round. <laughs> ah, exactly. They need people to just die. Like it's a suicide squad. We need to see more death. Like in this one, I think. I, I will say that like, I I like this trailer. I also like the trailer for the 2016 Suicide Squad, which <laughs> was incredible. Was like the biggest cinematic disappointment of my life. Like to be honest with you, I was so buzzing for that film and so let down that it's just like I'll never get over it. Having said that, I've really, really loved both of the Guardians of the Galaxy films. I know people are sort of splitting the second one. I really enjoyed that one, especially for the character stuff. So um yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That's where we'll leave it. <laughs> just a big giant <laughs> fucking question mark on James Gunn's Suicide Squad. Uh, but all in fact, Angus, thank you very much for coming on. I hope you've enjoyed yourself tonight. Yeah, it's been very good. Um, thanks very much for having me on. And if you want me to come back, I'll be more than happy to do so. Um, massive thanks to you and Jack for having me on. No worries. And, and Mr. Jack Higgins, thank you again for your your, <laughs> your professional preparedness, sir. It's, it's always a, always an inspiration. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Anyway, we'll be back next time. Next month we're looking at uh, Oscar movies that have been nominated this year. So it's looking like we'll be looking at Mank, uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7, and uh, Borat's subsequent movie film as well. So Jack, which one of them do you fancy, do you think? Uh, are they up for my, are they for me for choosing? Is that a thing? Aye, aye, aye. aye. Oh, uh, well, I watched the the trial of the Chicago Seven fairly recently, a couple of months ago. Quite enjoyed yeah. it. Aye. Um, I actually got shades of similarity to to Zodiac in a way, um, yes. in a strange way. Kind of got that that obviously boardwalky, boardwalky. What's I talking about? Boardroom kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, plenty of discussion. Plenty of. Um, Pondering, and talking. pondering <laughs> walking and talking, reading papers, sort of thing in an office yeah. vibe. Um, and it's set in the 60s and 70s, so there you go. Yeah. Nice, good stuff. Well, we'll see which show you see Jack Higgins on <laughs> next month. Until then, <laughs> goodbye for me and from these guys. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, <I see> <laughs>